0: Welcome to episode 109 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversation with Sycomer trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to Psychomer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is Comcast. Comcast creates incredible technology and entertainment that connects millions of people to the moments and experiences that matter most. You can find out more about how they support the military-affiliated population by going to corporate.comcast.com forward slash impact forward slash military. On today's episode, I'm featuring a conversation with Elizabeth Murray Belcaster, Senior Advisor of Communications and Public Relations for Task Force Movement. Liz is the president of EMB Consultants Incorporated, leading initiatives for veterans and military families, and an advisor for leadership and coalition building. She serves as a task force community member and a lead panelist for the American Legion National Licensing and Credentialing Summits, and continues to drive industry stakeholders, governing agencies, labor unions, and military affiliations in collective spaces to further advance programming and policy for service members across the globe. You can find out more about Liz by checking out her bio on our show notes. So let's get into my conversation with her and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. So, Liz, I'm glad to be continuing our series on highlighting the work of Task Force Movement and the efforts to connect service members, veterans, and their families to opportunities in transportation and logistics. Before we get into that, though, I'd like to provide you an opportunity to share your background and why this work is so important to you.
1: Sure. Thanks so much for having me, and I greatly appreciate the opportunity. I'm really proud of the work that we're doing with Task Force Movement, and I think I landed in this spot simply because of a lot of history of working with transitioning service members, with veterans, and quite frankly, on policy with the Department of Defense and the branches of the service at a time where the unemployment numbers were at over 15%. The economy had just collapsed between 2008, 2010. And we had veterans and transitioning service members coming home to no jobs. And quite frankly, I was working with the unions on political campaigns, came into that space with getting union endorsements for candidates. And while I was doing that work, one of the union bosses came to me and said, we're going to do an event in Chicago and we've got a lot of unemployed veterans and we want to know if you'll help us stand up this massive event for a program called Helmets to Hard Hats, which was the national and still is the National Building Trades Apprenticeship Program's for veterans that are transitioning into the trades. And that too was a very early program that started just under the umbrella of like, we have to do more. There's way too many unemployed veterans coming home. And it was impacting every community across the country where we know there's unemployment, there's veteran suicide, there's financial strain, there's divorces. And amid all of that, we really had some great resources that I collectively worked with a lot of people that had more resources than I knew what to do with and put together some programs and started working in this space. Oddly enough, my father is an army veteran in the Korean era. My grandfather was a World War II veteran and never did I think in my lifetime that I would be working in this space at any scope. But it's turned out it's really opened up a lot of dialogue with my own father on his service and family members. Over the years, I've got a couple of my sons who are in their 30s who lost friends in Iraq and Afghanistan. And have really good, wonderful relationships with their families and really am extending more than I could ever do to those families and to the families that are coming home. Transition is a culture. It really is. It's life-changing for many. And especially if you're like an E1 through an E4, you've got a little pocket of service, but it's very intense mission-oriented service. You get deployed, you come home, all of your friends have gone to college and you're reintegrating into a community that you lived in, but you now feel very displaced in. So that job to me is the most important thing. I think the job comes before the training, the job in the space of a transitioning service member for their family, before they go home, where are they going home to? Those are critical, important things that we have to pay attention to. So I've been really honored to be part of the team that put together some of the DOD language for SkillBridge, now working very closely and built many programs on military installations. One of the first programs that I built was the Teamsters Trucking Program. That was at a time where we knew trucking was gonna be an issue. The work continues, industry has changed, the dynamics of industry has changed. I often say years ago it was Chevy versus Ford, and today it's the transportation industry versus the cybersecurity industry which industry's got the sexier job and which one can attract the most people because our workforce gaps are heavy and we have less and less people interested in staying in long-term jobs and careers. We're really trying to impact some of that and make sure that our transitioning service members, our veterans and military spouses find the right pathways, the pathways that they deserve and that nothing gets in the way of that. And utilizing task force movement as a resource to do that has been really beneficial.
0: I think that's really incredible. And thinking back, one, to that time of 2008, 2010, but really from your position, I always find it interesting whenever members of the community who don't have any direct connection to the military all of a sudden find themselves engaging with these veterans. And the veterans coming out in 2008, 2009 were coming back from Iraq yeah. and Afghanistan, right? So they weren't just maybe if I got out in the mid-90s and buddies of mine that got out in the mid-90s, but these are individuals who had two months or even two weeks prior had been in combat. I'm yeah. curious what it was like for you to start engaging in that military culture, not really having familiarity with yeah. it from your background.
1: To me, it was life-changing. And I think that at some level, it's explained a lot of things that have happened in my life since I started the work, right? Like you have a better understanding of a lot of other things in your life's journey. But the war had been long going since it in 2010, 2015. And these are service members that were doing one to five to six deployments. This was not an easy thing to do in really finding. It was also at a time where certain magazines were posting on their front page, every veteran is coming back with post-traumatic stress. That wasn't helping the cause at all. We had people that were trying to take advantage of the issues that they had at some level, organizations and companies across the country that were opening up new organizations for veterans. It was overcrowded at some point, so much so that under the umbrella of Admiral Mullen, he had assigned somebody as a special assistant to oversee all of these programs that were happening from 2008 to 2015, so many of them not around anymore some of them with good intentions, others taking advantage of the veterans. And it was just an overcrowded and overpopulated space. And I learned so much from that and really took it personally to make sure we were setting the bar high, that nobody ever got lost in that process of the first program that I set up with the Teamsters at Fort Sill with a company called ABF Freight. As we were developing the program, it was the first of its kind. It was the first time that industry was allowed to be on a military installation, trained active service members while they're still on the dime of the government to go home to a job. And one of the things that we had to do was pivot the training and let those instructors know this isn't your property. And it was a challenge. And quite frankly, it was a challenge that was really defined in a very specific way with the company that a lot of those instructors were veterans themselves that really understood it. So it was an overall change on all of it, military and industry, not until the Obama administration and when Michelle Obama and Jill Biden had started the Joining Forces efforts. A lot of folks that are listening probably know what that is. And that was the first time that the military, academia and industry sat at a table. And it was because that need and desire to put people, veterans in particular, into jobs. And we needed to find a better way to do this. And it couldn't just be at the unemployment office. That wasn't working. That was people going to unemployment, getting unemployment, and then looking at job boards that were the jobs like McDonald's and they were working two and three jobs. So this was a really creative way of really engaging. But that first program we built, we set the bar high and we did it well. And that program still exists, it's still around. They've trained and placed over a thousand active service members into the trucking industry. And then it goes on and on and on. Other industries, at that point in 2015, we probably had 200 people that were providers for the DOD Skill Bridge Program. And those programs have now increased by almost 4,000 providers over just the past two years. So it's grown. But again, we want to make sure like the GI Bill that nobody's getting taken advantage of in the space. So the authority was written a specific way that that should be no cost to the service member. That's not always happening, but it should be. And I think under that umbrella, I see the change. I've been invited to weddings and christening, have worked with service members that were homeless, coming home, veterans that were sleeping in their cars at VA hospitals that would reach out to me. I Early on in 2013, I had a female veteran that was going through a utility worker program and she would call me from the bathroom whispering. She'd be like, ma'am, I don't have any money. I have nowhere to stay tonight. And we would find the resources, and we still do that to this day. Despite the fact that the economy is thriving, transitioning services and veterans still go through financial hardship when they're going through programs and as they're transitioning out. So we built in every resource we could to make sure that they got through safely. They felt safe in the space. And many times the programs are built around the colleagues that they served with, comrades that they served with in the military at some level, there's a level of comfort there. Like we had talked about even with the union, it's that same brotherhood. And when you engage transitioning service members, veterans and military spouses in the same room, they feel a level of comfort and trust with each other. They can ask each other questions. And we've made sure that we built in a lot of that mentorship. And as the years go on and you start graduating people, you take those graduates and those service members and you use them as mentors. And they're happy to do it. They're like, where can I help now. Somebody helped me, somebody gave me a lift and I want to do the same. It's awesome. It's been life-changing for me, for sure.
0: Now, I can definitely hear the idea of you and your efforts and your colleagues in industry saying, we want to step forward and support. And out of the goodness of your heart, yes. And not only out of the goodness of your heart, because you saw the need there, but then there is a measure of needing to help the service member and veteran understand that there is this opportunity. As veterans, we're often encouraged to use our educational benefits. Going to college, it's sort of that easy next step. I put my life on hold for four years or what have you. What many are missing, though, are the other career pathways besides college, things like the skilled trades and opportunities in unions that I've and not just for veterans, but also even the younger workforce, the skilled trades in our country is really aging rapidly.
1: Yeah, I will say I just read something the other day and I have a 30-year-old son. And I read an article that struck me last week about how this generation is never going to have a retirement fund. And I was just like, oh, God, that could be true. And if you look back at the history of the unions and really the longevity, the life of a union worker, even today, the biggest issue with filling workforce gaps is about retirement. 50 and over in the skilled trades at some level are going to be retiring within the next 10 years. And that really opens up more workforce gaps. But are we getting that across to younger people and to veterans? I think that overall, where I started my work with the veterans and with transitioning service members was with the unions. And the conversation, even early on, when they had lots of job fairs going on, you would have companies all across the board that were trying to put veterans to work. But a lot of it was still, in my eyes, people taking advantage of trying to put them in a minimum wage job where they would have to work three of those minimum wage jobs to feed their families. And it really, to me, very early on, the conversation was about a career pathway and not about a job. And many of those union jobs were out there vocally talking about it. And the unions, I will say this about the unions, the unions don't always talk about the good work that they do because they're very busy doing the good work that they do. And that's just a fact. That holds for everybody in industry. I think at some level, part of what we're seeing with task force movement is just that this hub of resources and people don't necessarily know what the other side is doing because they're so busy doing their day to day. And as you said, everybody's got good intentions, but having a good business model is super important in this space. There's no question about it the unions have nailed it. They've got programs in place. Not all of them. Some of them are coming into programming. Some of them have tried and failed and are trying again. Some of them stand up very tall. But every industry within the unions, whether it's the building trades, those skilled construction trades, those are more aligned with apprenticeship programs. That looks different than a truck driver. A Teamster job and a CDL truck driver goes through a six-week program on a military installation. They go home to a job and a really good paying job with a company that's going to give them benefits and they're going to value their worth. And that's why they do it. They're not charging for those programs. Still to this day, we still have a lot of programs that are taking GI benefits. And I think that's fair if it works for the service member or if it works for the veteran. But if at any point there's an overcharge for it, which we still see that happening. Those are the things that we have to be paying attention to. Listen, I'm as vocal as could be about the union programs. I think that's a way to feed your family. And still, some of those programs have an educational component attached to it where you can advance your degrees. And I was just at the CCME conference last week, and we had talked about, and that was a lot of universities and college. And Patrick and I did a panel session and somebody in the audience from university said, how can we help? And I said, everybody can help. If you're a university, you align yourself with some partners from the unions and from employers. Everybody can help. There's a means and a way for everybody to balance what a working program looks like. And the success of it all is that everybody wins inclusive to and most importantly to that service member, that veteran.
0: You mentioned it earlier as far as graduates of programs wanting to turn around and mentor other programs, because that's what we did in the military, right? That's what a squad leader taught the privates, the platoon sergeants taught the squad leaders, the lieutenants, and so on. And so there, there is that sort of, of lifting up and camaraderie thing in the military. A lot of a lot of service members and veterans miss, and then they go into things like law enforcement or first responders, where there is a culture of camaraderie. There's a culture of mutual support relying on each other. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is that same kind of culture is in the unions as well.
1: It totally is. And I will say that the misconception, and I wouldn't say it's a misconception, I think that early on, everybody that was coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan was signing up for the police department, right? Back in 2008, 2010, it was almost overpopulated. The cities were trying to give as many veterans jobs as they could just to feed the economy, but also because that is that space where they felt that camaraderie. I can give you two examples. One is this utility workers program that we set up in Chicago. We specifically did an agreement with the company, the union and the company that this would be an all veterans cohort, all new hires for people's gas in Chicago since 2012 have been veterans. And they all go in cohort by cohorts, we graduated over a thousand and the company, you know, semester by semester, they get six months, four months of gas training, two months of academia. They leave there with the equivalent of an associate's degree. But the key was really keeping them together. Back in 2012, most of my students were homeless veterans. They were veterans that had families that couldn't find a lick of work for, if their life depended on it. They were working two and three jobs and struggling in 2012. In 2022, many of them have associate's degree, master's degrees. It's a different audience, but the story remains the same. At some level, they got lost, whether it was coming home and being homeless to a terrible economy, or it was because they took on all of those part-time jobs and went to school and never really found their pathway. So they come back out of the service for at least four or five years, the age group that we have in these classes now, and they tell a different story, but it's the same thing. This is the same journey that they go on, only they're just landing in different spaces. I use the analogy, one lane here, one lane there, one lane there. And for the most part, I've probably been in all lanes, whether it's the veteran, the Department of Defense policy or employers or unions, but many of these service members and veterans struggle with finding the trust of a program. And even with my utility workers program and our Teamsters program, the truck driving program, I still get people that come into the program are like, I would have been here 10 years ago, but I didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And then my buddies been on for two years and I was like, we should probably think about this. And that happens more often than you'll ever know. Female veterans, especially going into union jobs and construction jobs. And that's another area that we're really drawing focus on. Like these are jobs for everybody military spouses, whether it's in your local community being a bus driver or an over the road, really strong, powerful female that comes from the military that we know she's got it right. She can do it. And that's really part of the dialogue of what Task Force Movement is doing is we're bringing those industry resources together, industry by industry, started with trucking, now with cybersecurity and going into healthcare and aerospace. I think that we're really impacting the way people view this. And the way it's brought to service members, it really needs to be something a little bit more transparent than what it is, to be
0: honest with you. I absolutely agree. I think this is one of the things that really came out of Patrick's conversation that we aired a couple weeks ago was that it's about education, right? The resources are there. But really what Task Force Movement is doing is, sure, educating industry, but industry is really catching up. But it's educating the veterans about the opportunities. And so we got a little bit of introduction in that episode about what task force movement is and why it's important. I'd like to hear your perspective on the program and why you feel like it's so critical, both for those who served and for the communities that they live in.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, what was interesting is I was brought into the space of when the White House, the biden here is and Harrison, administration did the 90-day sprint because of the supply chain crisis for the trucking industry. At that time, I had been working with the Teamsters and have stood up many programs with the unions as well as with employers across the country and was asked by the White House to participate. And through those conversations with employers and academic partners, quite frankly, you can't talk about trucking or any other industry without talking about the overall training component. How do people get there? Super important because While you have a supply chain crisis, you also have a crisis of getting people to get their licenses, finding enough instructors to train them. And then overall, it's impacting on every scale of of the trucking industry. I think when we started out with trucking early on, the discussions with the White House were really to those employers and how can we be more impacting? How can we put more people to work. And specifically, my role in that was to talk about more that we can do with the transitioning service members. I was there when they wrote the language and the policy for the even exchange, which is the license, the CDL license. Back in 2010, that license didn't marry over. If you were driving a truck in the military, you came home. There was no license. You had to start over. And that's the case with many industry certifications and credentials. But we knew what that looked like. And there was still some fog for a lot of us, including Patrick, Patrick being the 32nd Undersecretary of the Army, first congressman from Iraq, and just an overall advocate of veterans had stepped up and said, let's take a better look at this and a better view of how we can get our service members, transitioning service members, veterans, the spouses into this space. It was already happening at some level, right? There was already programs out there on the installations, but there was still a lot of work to be done. and. It was really the folks that were working with the White House in general that were on a lot of these calls that said, let's continue the conversation. Patrick stepped up. We came up with the task force movement for trucking just based on the need to continue the conversation, to advance the efforts and to bring the stakeholders together. And when I say stakeholders, all of the stakeholders. So we had four tiers of partners that we worked with. One was the employers and the associations. Two was the academic and vocational partners. Three was the VSO organizations. And four was some of the government appointees that the Biden administration had put in tasks to work with us on some of this stuff. You can't do one and all in one scope. And again, I say this and I mean it, that each one of these organizations at some level was in their own lane. They were doing their day-to-day work. Just like I say about the unions are busy doing union work. You're not gonna hear about all the good things that they do. They do have time to talk about it quite frankly, but they're good giving communities. Same thing with corporations and same thing with associations and academic institutions. Everybody's got layers of good things that they can offer, resources that they can put on the table. Where the VSO organizations were super critical to this is that uh, while you have communities that are working collectively to bring more resources, the messaging sometimes gets foggy again to the service member and who's talking to the service member, the veteran, the VSO organizations who's got the voice that they're listening to Is those that they trust and that's inclusive to the VSO organizations. So we really had a good group of the American Legion, it's been a great partner, the BFW. And then we had the VA who had appointed somebody to work with us and many other smaller VSO organizations that were very specific to either housing or something that would be impacting along the way of getting them to that journey. We did convening sessions independently with each one of those working groups We did five sessions with each working group. And our goal was really to find some common ground of discovery, recommendations, things that we thought could move the needle a little bit more to be impacting in the trucking industry. And we're still in the process of writing the overall report for task force movement for trucking, which I'm very excited about. So we use the model of trucking and everybody's really excited about that. We've done a couple meetings with the Legion, In the summertime, we launched Task Force Movement for Cybersecurity, and lo and behold, that same model will work in that space, only the audience will be very different. So in my opinion, it was really necessary. I know my life's work and Patrick's life's work and many of the people that are leads with Task Force Movement have been in these one, two, three lanes. We all understand that bringing collective resources together, putting them on the table, let everybody leave on the table what they can, and then step aside and stay back in your own lane. That's really important too. For all the right reasons, that's what we're doing industry by industry. So I'm really proud of the work. And I will say this, it's moving at the speed of light. So We are a small child in the eyes of a program. April 4th was our launch. It's been a journey. And I will say, I'm a firm believer that public-private partnerships are everything. And if everybody engaged and really took the goodness and the good resources that come out of that, not only will those partners be the winners, but so will the recipients of the goodwill of what comes out of it.
0: Oh, no, I absolutely believe that as well. And, and hearing that, that, that journey of task force movement, yeah. what comes to mind is the true innovation is not something new. It's what you yeah. talked about. It's the integration of a bunch of things into something new, That's right. right? It's not about the person who has the chocolate doing chocolate stuff and the person that has a peanut butter yeah. doing peanut butter stuff. It's someone like you that says, hey, you marshmallow person, you peanut butter person, you chocolate person, let's come together.
1: personality, by the way. And
0: and I think this is the idea of the integration piece. The innovation comes from the collective effort, not from individual efforts. And I'm really excited to hear how things go. If people wanted to find out more about Task Force Movement or some of these other initiatives, how can they do that?
1: You know what? Our website's great. We've got a lot of information there. We've got both the cybersecurity landing page as well as the trucking landing page. There's still a ton of work to do. We're still opening up our doors to partners. Taskforcemovement.org, all one word, taskforcemovement.org. You can find a place to register, to become a partner, an employer or an association partner within the industry, an academic partner. I can't even tell you how exciting it was to bring some of those academic partners together that one didn't know what the other one was doing and now they're all working together. It's very cool. And then the VSO organizations. So taskforcemovement.org is where you can go to learn more. And my email and information is on there too. So anybody can email me and I'm happy to engage.
0: Well, Liz, that, that is amazing. I really, I personally, and I think really on behalf of the community, Appreciate the efforts of you and your fellow leadership on Task Force thank Movement. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Well, this was an honor.
0: Once again, we'd like to thank this week's sponsor, Comcast. Comcast creates incredible technology and entertainment that connects millions of people to the moments and experiences that matter most find out more about how they support the military-affiliated population by going to corporate.comcast.com forward slash impact forward slash military. Now we're having this conversation in 2023, and Liz started working with veterans during the height of the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan in 2008 and 2010, about 15 years ago from where we are now. The height of the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan, in terms of number of troops deployed, casualties, frequent combat engagement, lasted around a decade from 2004 to around the early teens. Of course, there was another surge of troop deployments and incidents surrounding the withdrawal from Afghanistan, and we still have service members stationed in the Middle East currently. But Liz started working with returning veterans on the leading edge of a cascading wave that has grown over time and will continue to grow. It's also important to hear how Liz said that the veteran audience has changed in that time, from veterans struggling to when they first got out to veterans experiencing different challenges 10 years down the line. This is going to be a long-term effort to support working-age veterans of the global war on terror. The other point that I'd like to briefly make is how Liz shared that solving a workforce shortage is not an overnight fix when it comes to the skilled trades, It's not something like, hire a thousand veterans next week and the problem is solved. You have to have the training infrastructure, the resources, facilities, instructors, but it's also something that I imagine is consistent and ongoing. If the capacity to train and license them exists, Hiring something like, say, thousands of veterans in the skilled trades in the next several years requires consistent recruitment, investment in resources, and even the infrastructure and policy around where those veterans are going to go when they're in the workforce. Hiring veterans isn't just a goal. It's the first step in a long chain, and it's good to hear the task force movement is thinking about that. So I hope you appreciated this conversation with Liz as much as I did. If you did, we'd love hearing from you. So if you do have some feedback, let us know. Drop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at We're always glad to hear from listeners both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. For this week's PsychArmor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the previous podcast episode in the series, our conversation with former Pennsylvania Congressman and the 32nd Undersecretary of the Army, Patrick J. Murphy. In our conversation, Mr. Murphy provided an overview of task force movement and the efforts that the White House is making to impact this critical issue. You can find a link to the resource in our show notes. So thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in the podcast app, as well as on the PsychArmor website at psycharmor.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members, veterans, and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation, and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace & Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Much appreciation to the team at PsychArmor that makes this show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track and is an outstanding guest coordinator, and support and transcripts by Emma Atherall. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.